Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Objective. And today is a very special Thursday collective episode. We've got a quite a collection of people here. Uh, we're each basically going to be bringing our own little topics. And maybe you guys can suggest some another topic in the super chat or in the chat room. So, you know, get on and get involved. Leave a like on the video and let's jump right into this. We've all come prepared. Uh, first off, we've got a guy. You've seen him co-host here. You've seen him tweet out. And catch this, he's an actor in showbiz. It's Mark Pellegrino. What's up? And then we've got a guy who, I mean, he directed or produced or wrote uh, The Little Rascals. I mean, that to me is all you really need to do to uh, be a friend of mine. Uh, you know, you'd think he'd get made fun of because of his name growing up. But when your name is already gay, I don't know how they can manipulate your name to poke fun at you. Please welcome Paul Gay. Thank you. They had a lot of fun with Paul, however. In Latin, Paul means small. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, here is a guy who's not very small at all. It's uh, He frankly looks like me, and I can stare at him all day. It's a uh, finance person, Seth Levine. Thanks a lot. Great to be here. And uh, last but not least, you know, uh, they say, you know, uh, they talk about the, the the thorn on the rose or the uh, thorn in a bed of roses. This this is a rose among thorns. It's Jacqueline Schumann. Hey, how's it going? That was I was wondering what you were going to do with that. Rucka. So was I. And in the <laughs> chat, we've got a super chat from Jonathan Honig with four ninety nine starting us off strong. All right. Uh, I guess who should go first is the real question. Um, should we leave it to the lottery or uh, kind of an improv game where everyone's silent and then someone jumps in? I don't know, I why think not ladies oldest. first? I think the, uh, uh, I the oldest. I think the oldest should go first. All right, Jax, you're up. Oh, you bitches. <laughs> you got balls. <laughs> hey, Seth threw you under the bus, Jax. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, okay. I am going to talk about, because I'm like 80 uh, and I've been around through several elections. I want to talk about election security because we had an interesting conversation. I wasn't part of it. There was an interesting conversation last week on Brazil and the elections. And um, I've actually done quite a bit of research. I've written articles about election security. I've interviewed uh, I've interviewed election officials about their specific elections. I, in fact, I, I had an interview with the head of election security for Chicago elections. Um, and because Chicago is notorious for having corrupt elections back in the 60s. Um, That's a myth, and- I just want to say. It, it there there's rumors to it right they uh uh yeah i mean i don't know the moon landing i don't know if that's a myth either but uh um the there is a misconception about elections at least here in the united states i think that there there is a certain amount of election fraud that does happen with mail in votes um with going to polls twice but as this election official official told me when I asked him about, well, don't you have problems with people, you know, going to one poll and then going to another poll? And his response was, we have a hard enough time just pe- getting people to come out and vote once, let alone twice, mm-hmm. um, which rings a bit resonant and true for me. Um, 
But uh, there are security practices, election security, crypto security practices that have been put in place, especially over the last 20 years, that make it very, very difficult to actually defraud an election. At least everybody remember in the Trump era, everybody was talking about, oh, the, the, the election machines, the Dominion machines. I was the stupid idiot who watched all those hours and hours and hours of uh, of uh, election pollsters and and pe- election workers who were being interviewed in all the different states, and none of the evidence that they presented was even remotely credible. It was all hearsay. Um, one of the things I want to talk about with these machines: how many? So you guys, uh, how many of you? How many of you gentlemen voted in this last election? Okay, and how did you how did you do it? Did you mail in or did you personally go in? Mail in. Personally. Personally. Yeah. Okay. Personally. So Mark what Mark and Seth personally you went personally. What was your experience? Did you use the uh did you use the voting machines or did you write your ballot out hand write it out? I wrote my ballot out and then delivered it to the person who put it in the box, made sure all my my eyes were dotted and T's were crossed, then put it in the box. Okay. And what about you, Seth? Yeah. So in New York, it's like a bubble, uh, it's like a bubble scantron for, for those of us old enough to, to remember doing those in school. You just kind of fill out the bubble and then you slide it into like an optical reader. Yeah. So those, that's actually the exact same process that happens even if you were to fill out your ballot electronically, which I do. So I fill out my, you get like this little, it looks like a little credit card. You stick it in uh, and you. Uh, it's basically a giant iPad and you touch all of your preferences. When you're done, that prints out an actual ballot that you can look at and look at all of your options. And at the end of the day, that ballot is exactly the same as a handwritten ballot. There's no way that that can be changed into digitally converted into something. I know that they were talking with the Dominion machines that, oh, they convert, they change the ballots. Well, this is what these new machines do is they take your ballot that Mark and Seth handwrite and they take my ballot that I digitally input and print out and view, and they scan those into these uh, into these massive machines, and they keep those ballots in. Um, so let's say that Mark's not a very good uh, uh, bubble filler inner, and it looks really weird, um, and his he, they they can't figure out which way he votes. They actually take those and scan them all in, and if something doesn't work right there and then, if Mark is still there. They will uh, they'll rerun it and they'll check for it. It's called adjudication. So any ballot that doesn't make sense, they uh, they now they have because now these machines have the actual bandwidth to keep a scanned image like a faxed image of those ballots before machines would just they wouldn't actually scan the image, they would just, you know, tally the vote. And so it was a lot easier to defraud an election, but not in the last, in the last 12 years, these machines are extremely reliable. And not only that, but the poll books that you sign in at, you know, when you go to your, uh, uh, when you go to the election site, you sign in on a poll book, 
if you don't have, if you signed in, say, at another place, those poll books are actually connected via secure Wi-Fi to a system, to a secured system that runs and checks to make sure that you haven't signed in anywhere else. And let's say you were sneaky and you signed in on one and then you ran over to another place and signed in on another one. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if there were two Mark Pellegrinos that showed up, one of them gets, uh, actually what they do is they call Mark Pellegrino or they email him and they say, you showed up twice, um, you know, what was your actual vote or come down and vote again? So there's there's this whole process that goes on and it's very secure in the United States. The Dominion machines are very secure. Um, I remember when, uh, I, I don't even know his name, but I call him my pillow guy. You know that guy? Uh, Mike Lindell. Yeah, that you see on Fox News at two o'clock in the morning. Uh, and, uh, you know, and he was like, oh, we've got a Dominion machine. We're going to break it apart. They never did. They just, you know, I was like watching. Oh, show me, show me how it's broken. And they're like, okay, this, this, this is a simulation of a machine. They can't even get their hands on one of these machines because they're so secure. Uh, but in other countries, um, how if they're using these machines in other countries, it's going to be fairly secure. But if they're using other methods of vote counting, which I think they did in Brazil, which they did in Venezuela, which they also did in Belarus. So the interesting story in Belarus is uh, we all think if we if we looked up Viktor Lukashenko right now and uh, as the president of Belarus, the only president of Belarus after the Soviet Union broke up, they, it will show that he was elected in in a democratic election. But really what happened, as, as I hear it, and it's kind of a plausible story to me because poll sites in Belarus are generally held at schools. Here we have them kind of at like retirement facilities or, you know, any other kind of, you know, public facility that can be temporarily farmed out for election uh, for elections. Generally in Belarus, they were at schools. And uh, the story is, is that uh, one of the school teachers who was responsible for running the polls, uh, running the elections, all the votes were taken uh, just as the just as the polls closed and they were counting up the ballots. Uh, men in suits came in that were effectively KGB and said, OK, we'll take these ballots now. Thank you. Bye bye. Uh, and, and then they counted the votes. Uh, so, you know, that's that's how you can that's that's a an example of a corrupt nation, how they can um, how how they can fake their elections. But we never had any stories like that here. Um, none of those stories. What I love about our system is that I still trust the legal system. I don't trust politicians anymore, but I still trust the legal system and I trust standards of evidence. Uh, and that's, so I just, I wanted to talk about that. What do you guys think? Do you guys think that, uh, that I'm telling the truth or, uh, just talking out my butt or what? I am an old lady, by the way. Um, um say, it, seems, it seems to me like the, uh, like the, the, the Trump people are pulling a Johnny Cochran and they're just taking advantage of the fact that people are a little bit ignorant with respect to this new technology and they're going to play that on that ignorance as much as possible and exploit it, right? As they did with the as they did with the DNA evidence that is now irrefutable evidence in a court of law. They they cast suspicion on it uh, to get one guy off. They're trying to do the same thing with Trump. 
Um, yeah, technology uh, is going to fix the the corruption in our election I, in our elections. I, I think uh, that's it seems right to me. What do you think, Paul? I'm not well enough informed to have an opinion. My my problem is that I, I hear anecdotal things. I hear about uh, first of all, I have no idea if the election was stolen, and if it was stolen, I it's certainly not the first election that was stolen. My guess is it wasn't stolen, but I don't I don't know enough to have an opinion. I hear about anecdotal stories about observers not being allowed to be close enough to actually observe counting. Again, that's anecdotal. And I know that apparently no judge has accepted anything that's been presented to them as evidence by the Republicans or whatever, which is, you know, that's a very interesting point. That's an interesting point. To me, this is the, the fact that the nation or the counties or the city governments or state governments don't have the will to work together to find out a way that is not falsifiable so that everybody would know that it's whether they accept the result, whether they like the result or don't like it, that it was fair. This seems an easy problem to solve. Um, I don't understand why people are allowed to vote so much after the election, after election day. It seems weird to me that we don't have an election day that is a snapshot where you pretty much vote on that day or at least have your, your vote postmarked on that day. But when I'm hearing that votes are being counted two weeks, a month after the election, I'm going, what the hell are these people doing? It's impossible with the trillions of dollars that we're giving them that they can't find enough people to count votes and they can't have independent people looking over the votes or opponents looking over the votes so that everybody goes, yeah, that's not the outcome I wanted, but that is clearly the right outcome. So I think if, if there were a will, we would no longer question whether the elections were fair or not. I think it's pretty easy to do, but there isn't the will to do that. I think the... Uh allegation that the election was first going to be stolen, then it, then that it was being stolen, and then that it w had been stolen was always arbitrary and capricious. And when Trump had the nation's attention, he was able to get, you know, get get a bunch of people super excited and to believe it just simply because he said it. And after that point, a lot of people are just simply not interested in what the evidence says. So you can tell them about how the court's looked at the evidence and many, many courts, including Trump appointed judges, et cetera. They looked at the evidence and um, fortunately judges do in, in courts, they, they don't have the same methodology or lack of methodology as the United States of Twitter, which just sees an image, sees a video clip of somebody throwing a piece of paper in the trash and immediately assumes that's uh, a Democrat throwing a Republican vote in the trash. So you cannot, there, there is no such thing as satisfying everybody once people have become capricious once people have made up their mind um there's just no way to have a system that satisfies everybody i mean yeah they pulled a johnny cochran they also kind of pulled a jesse cochran that was the name the original name of uncle jesse on full house before it was changed to katsopolis in later seasons Hey, well, you, you got to admit, Paul's right. I mean, the, ex the extension of elections two weeks before, a month afterwards, where they're still counting, it it does add grist for the mill to this this corruption. You yeah, know. agreed. Whether it's a conspiracy theory or not, it does cast aspersions on, you know, whether or not uh, whether or not uh, these elections are honest. You should have an election day. You should have an election day. If you can't get to uh, uh, to to the to the polls. By election day, uh, you probably shouldn't be voting if you can't vote on at the time that's designated for you. Or should you really be voting? I mean, come on, man, get it done. Yeah, and yeah, this, there's a lot this, probably wrong. There's probably a lot wrong with the voting process, and there's a lot that could be changed about it. But the 
But when the allegation of fraud or of a straight up stolen election is so capricious, I see no reason to take it seriously. It's like Hitchens said, I think. Uh, and, And he sort of sounds like Rand with her epistemology, like something that's proposed arbitrarily can be dismissed the same way. Something yeah. like that. I'll, I'll give you guys one um, uh, one thing to take away and look up uh, look up beyond this. It's called text to vote. T e x t the number two v o t e dot com. Um, and these these guys actually ran me through a demo of, and their system's already being used in Colorado for local elections. Um, the GOP actually likes it because it's tied to your driver's license as well or your ID as well as your cell phone um, carrier. Uh, And it's highly secure and it's, you know, it would be so easy to text your vote in and secured actually, uh, that it solves all these problems of mail-in ballots and voting two weeks after and before and long lines at the polls. Um, And the only reason why it hasn't been implemented yet is because the big carriers have not yet gotten on board with it. Yeah, but I got to um, tell you something. This... I'm I'm sort of sorry, Seth, you go. You've been trying to get a word in. Sorry, right, go ahead. It's all go good. Ahead. Yeah, no, this all strikes me as a problem of like system design as opposed to like technology. Like, I don't think there's a technology that exists that if you're, as Rucka said, of the mindset of like a conspiracy theorist in this, in this venue or in larger ones that, you know, there's ever going to be a technology that's going to satisfy you. Right. If like you are prone to saying, oh, that election was stolen, um, I don't think it's going to matter if it's hand ballots or if it's, you know, text to vote. Right. It's a matter of sort of how do you view the integrity of the system that you're sort of uh, um, that you're you're analyzing. And if you look at all these voting, the, the political systems of all these countries that we're mentioning called the U.S. and Belarus, for example, like people are, you know, the culture has real um uh, corruption um, concerns um, surrounding the politics of those of those countries. I mean, every country, right? Just at different degrees, and you know, I think that's really the heart of it. Um, because there's no reason why you couldn't have an honest voting system with, like, you know, you know, voting with straws or something, right? Or marbles, right? Like, so it's it's really about kind of how people view how people view kind of how the voting system is is I think constructed. And the trust that they have in the uh, in the political system that really is kind of the crux of this issue because it seems like there's always going to be a reason to not trust something right. You brought up you know taking apart the voting machines right that are super secure like you know with the, with the text to vote there'll be there'll be claims of um, you know Verizon and AT and T you know sort of not not getting votes in or you know who who knows like what there's going to be right. So even with even it just doesn't strike me as like a, a technology solution. I'm also for I'm also for making the process of voting more conscious instead of something that you just do sort of, you know, uh, as an afterthought and going to the polls and voting, you know, or sitting down with the ballot at your in your home and, and going through the, the proposals and the ballot proposals and actually checking them off before you mail it in. That requires some consciousness. Sitting there on your phone doesn't necessarily do that. Um, but I'm one who doesn't think that, you know, being born in a place automatically should confer citizenship anyway. So I don't mind the obstacles to voting because I think if you're more pa- in passion, you're going to go to the place to vote, right? You're going to be motivated to to participate. Um, and and less so if you can just do it on your phone as, a, as an afterthought. So despite the security, give me the obstacle. Yeah, and I think those are sort of there. I think those obstacles favor the entrenched 
you know, political players, um, you know, of, 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 you know, the entrenched political players, right? The information, you know, almost works, you know, the information void kind of works in their favor, right? Like I have a hard time finding out like who, what these policy, you know, what, 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 what politicians stand for what, you know, basically I think the parties would prefer you just go in and vote red, blue. And this way that gives them sort of the, that gives them a little bit of a, of an edge, I think, in that then they could sort of gamify sort of who's, who's, who's coming to which team, as opposed to actually having to deal with the nuances of, um, you know, of, of, of ideas. I'd prefer that it not matter who wins the election because I'd prefer that they have so little power over us that it's, that it doesn't matter. I'm, I, I would, I'm, I'm blue skying it obviously, but I would love to have philosophical agreement over what it is that government can and should do. And then the only question in terms of votes is um, what, what approach do you want to take to accomplish that as opposed to what should we be accomplishing? And I'm not saying that's right. It's like, who cares if there's fraud, right? Like, yeah. which candidate is most qualified to carry this out rather than which, you know, lobbyists are going to get. Right, uh, right. Or, yeah. or whose specific approach. I mean, as long as we agree on the goal and, the, and that we're not going to violate individual rights in achieving the goal, then it becomes an interesting question of strategy and tactics and effectiveness. And I'd love to have that vote. But, you know, you should be able to wake up the day after Election Day or in our case, two months after Election Day and not <laughs> give a shit who won. It really should <laughs> not matter. Not because the issues don't matter, but because we should be agreeing upon the delimited nature of a constitutional republic, and we should not be trying to do anything that's outside that. The notion that 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 senators and congressmen don't specifically have to swear on their mother's bodies that the laws that they're passing do not violate my objectivist ethics and or the Constitution before they pass them is laughable to me. These people should be bitch slapped every time they overstep their bounds. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Paul right. Gay for president. Paul <laughs> Gay for president. Text to bitch slap. The first I would game. vote for that. President Gay. Gay president. Uh, we got Marilyn with $3. Thank you for that. Jonathan with $4.99 says more Seth Levine. Uh, Walter. Walter with two euros. And then Marilyn with $2 says Washington State is only mail-in. No other choice. I wonder, was that a COVID thing? Or is that always? Uh, Apollo with five pounds says question. Okay. And it says, we're each bringing in our own topic. So this uh, could sidetrack us, but he asks a uh, question for Paul. How do you formulate wrestling storylines? Um, I look at my life and I make it less plausible, um, which is difficult because my life itself is implausible. No storylines. So I, I, I know you guys are all pro wrestling fans because every student of objectivism is a pro wrestling fan. So um storylines in the old days used to be good guys versus bad guys. And when you were booking the matches or writing it, you would have your good guy character. Why do we love this character? You'd have your bad guy character. Why do we hate him? What is the personal ingredient that makes us care about their conflict? So in a sense, it's like writing a movie or a play or a short story where you've got a protagonist, you've got an antagonist, you've got a goal, which is to win a title or win the match or whatever. And what you're doing as a, as a wrestling writer is to get the audience emotionally involved in the outcome of something that they know is predetermined, which is exactly what you're doing as a, as a film writer, as a playwright or whatever. You want to make people care about something, even though they shouldn't care because it's fake. That's the F word in pro wrestling. It's fake. They know that. But how do you make them care within those limits? So it's, it's an art form. It's a craft or whatever. 
you, I think most of entertainment and a lot of art is make people care. Jonathan you give with them an arc, right? You give your characters an arc. Arcs are great. Sometimes characters will change from good guy to bad guy and you want to make that plausible or bad guy to good guy. Um, they'll have feuds. You, you want to make it make sense so that you can create the willing suspension of disbelief in your audience and make them feel good about cheering and booing. Although you'll be interested to know that cheering and booing is not allowed in Japan right now because of the COVID evil. Um, but if you sell out your arena halfway, you're allowed to cheer and boo. But if you sell it out 75% or more, they will time the cheers and boos. So if a wrestler has an entrance song, you can sing along with them about 10 seconds, but you cannot hit the chorus because if you hit the chorus, you've broken their laws and they will throw you out because that's the scientific way that the COVID virus works. The COVID virus, <laughs> when they hear the words of the chorus, will jump into the mouth of the person sitting next to you, but they will not do that at second nine. That's I right. that. It's totally possible. Hey, hey, wait a minute. I've been in the audience during a wrestling match at the Olympic Auditorium, and there wasn't a single person around me who thought it was fake, I have to say. That's good. That's a, <laughs> that's a fun great. audience. That's a great audience if they believe it. That's perfect. It's no coincidence the word Mark means a wrestling fan that thinks it's real. Um, <laughs> there you go. Wow. That's a thing, In right? Latin. Damn. That's absolutely true. What did I do to deserve that, Ruck? Uh, it's, it's, I didn't invent this language. White, straight men did. Uh, Jonathan with 99 cents. Thank you for that. Jonathan then with 499 says, amazing. Rucka integrating the arbitrary with Jesse from Full House. Uh, that's nice. Then Justin with 199 says, please review Last of Us for TV talk. Oh, yeah. I just saw the I just saw the first episode. Is that the HBO Max? Uh, yes. Dystopian? Yes. Uh, based, on like the, it? based on the awesome video game. Uh, I have a lot to say about it, I think. So we should talk. We've about got it. We, have, we have many TV talks that we have to get through, uh, but we'll put it on the list. Yes, please do. And um, that wraps up the Jack's segment uh who wants Ooh, to go next sorry, monopolized that was like a whole segment in and of itself <laughs> I know. Hey, i'll go next because mine is Paul, he nominated seconds. me hey mine is only going to take 10 seconds and will inspire absolutely no conversation whatsoever <laughs> so let me let me do this uh I, I just i just heard from the new york times and so we know it's true that alec baldwin will be charged with involuntary manslaughter in the rust killing i have to say that is good um let me let me just talk a little bit about gun handling on the set uh the responsibility doesn't end with the armor or the prop person it ends with the the with the actor who is handling the gun and has to point it at in this case the cinematographer and the director you have to clear that firearm too and now we only use airsoft guns now i mean since all this stuff has happened they're only allowing airsoft guns on on set which means they fire bbs or 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 air there's no such thing as a bullet that goes in them but they look real and even with those i clear it and 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 show the 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 cinematographer the director anybody who i'm pointing that gun at i show that firearm to when i'm pointing it at at them uh, baldwin should have done that at the very least you should have unlocked that cylinder let it hang out uh, taken those bullets out, showed them all that the cylinder was empty before he uh, pulled the trigger. So I yet, thought the issue was he was shooting that he was he's shooting blanks. No, look, 
dummy bullets that look like real bullets have to be cleared as well. The firing okay. pin is either depressed or you shake it like this and it sounds like a bunch of BBs in there. That means it's a dummy bullet and nothing is going to happen if that hammer mm -hmm. falls. You as the actor are partially responsible for that. You can't just rely uh, or you chain, the chain of command and responsibility of that firearm does not end with the prop person who's handing you the gun. It ends with you clearing the weapon for yourself with your own eyes and anybody who that weapon is going to be pointed at and to and and to actually not necessarily point it directly at anybody or not have your finger on the trigger or to not pull back the hammer uh, when you're when you're uh, pointing it at, at people during these practice shots. Paul, you look like you're moving around and like you have an issue with what I'm saying. No, my butt's uncomfortable, Mark. Um, I was in an incredibly low budget film once that was being made by a couple of friends of mine. Uh, it was called Playhouse 2. And I said, why is it called Playhouse 2? There's no Playhouse. And they said, because sequels are um, better than originals. I thought, well, that's a, that's an approach. So I'm playing a psychotic deranged killer, which is a real stretch for me. Um, and my character is in a wheelchair. And um, apparently I'm going to be pointing a gun at somebody. So in this film, which I think took two days to shoot or whatever, um, which had a budget of $11.03, most of which went to catering, that when they brought the gun on the set, they basically said, gun on set! And everybody kind of stiffened up. And then the gun person came, showed us the gun, opened it up, showed us that it was empty, asked us if we had any questions, if we were comfortable doing it. This, again, an $11 movie. Um, and I've never shot a gun. I don't think that I can recall. And Alec Baldwin has been in 8 billion movies in which he shoots guns. So theoretically, he would know the proper procedure. It sounds like there was a series of systemic fuck ups, but it sounds like he was one of the fuck ups is my understanding of how this works. But if in an $11 feature, you can have somebody show you the gun and show you that it's empty and everything, I think you could probably figure out a way to do that on a multi-million dollar film or whatever he was making. Yeah, I think I think armor prop person Baldwin all responsible. They should uh, they should get some penalty for this. It seems like it should be yeah. It's just from what you're saying, Mark. It seems like there's it's a series of people who should be maybe uh, charged too, not just absolutely. And uh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure they are going to be charged. If Baldwin's going to be charged, I'm sure the rest of them are. He may be the only one to get off. Hmm. Uh, yeah, never aim a gun at anything you wouldn't want to shoot. That's what I was told. Uh, Marilene with $10. Thank you for that. Uh, okay. Uh, does that wrap up the Mark segment? Why not? That's a good segment. I don't, I will, I will just contribute and say, I don't think Keanu Reeves would have made the same mistake. Well, no. he's perfect. So how could he make a mistake? Plus he can dodge bullets. So that's his superpower. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm a complete. Yeah. I mean, I have a couple of questions. I'm a complete outsider to, uh, to the film industry, uh, despite the, uh, despite the last name perhaps, nice. but, um, nice. and the, uh, and, and the conspiracies. But um, like how common, uh, you know, I'm just be like kind of curious. And I guess, Mark, you, you, you touched upon that, but like how common, like, like how big of a mistake was this? I mean, I met, there are a lot of guns on sets. Like, like how, how, like, like what is like, is there a best practices that everyone does? I guess yes. Paul also kind of hit upon that too. And like, how could, how could a live round get in, in a prop gun? And it like, is, and, and why are you actually aiming it at someone? Like, I would imagine from the camera perspective, like, I mean, like, it's almost impressive that, and this is, you know, morbid, but it's almost impressive that someone died. Like, I wouldn't necessarily aim a gun, even, even on set, like try to actually, you know, 
it shoots it, someone like a shot kill. It's impressive because you have to be stupid on multiple levels for this for a mess up like this to happen. So hmm. yes, it is monument. It's a monumental break with uh, form with the way armorers and prop people actually work with guns. When I did a western in the '90s called The Cherokee Kid. We had live rounds. We would shoot guns uh, for practice. We would shoot those old Western guns for practice. We had some of the best armors in the business. And still we cleared firearms ourselves, even though the armors were clearing them in advance and letting everybody know um, that, you know, when a firearm was on set and everybody had a gun on that. Nobody got hurt because, you know, we followed form. We followed, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the proper, the proper, uh, procedure when you have a firearm on set which they did on paul's movie and couldn't seem to do on alex's movie my understanding is that these accidents are very very rare which is one of the reasons that they make the news and obviously if it involves a movie star that helps too so this sounds not like the like procedures in general are lacking but like people didn't follow the procedures that are there that, that's I mean, the major the major accidents you hear about, like Brandon Lee or John Eric Hexum. Uh, John Eric Hexum, of course, put a gun to his head with a blank and it didn't realize that it actually explodes and there's explosive force that could fracture his skull. Did that to himself. Brandon Lee, there was a discharge of stuff within the gun ever since that, you know, every one of those issues, you know, created greater and greater, more strict safety regulations for the people working on the set. So. Um, it's it's nearly impossible to do what they did. <laughs> it's nearly impossible. Where did where did they film Rust, Mark? I think in New Mexico. Okay. Uh, my Jonathan, friend, my friend, my friend uh, Jensen Eccles was in that, so uh, he was literally supposed to be, I think, the person that uh, uh, Alec was going to shoot. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's a okay. miracle. Jonathan with one ninety nine. Thank you for that. Uh, who's next? We got Seth, we got Paul, and we got me. Uh, who's it going to be? Uh, I can I can go. I can jump in here. Um, you know, so the Martin Luther King statue was unveiled a week ago, and people are making a lot of noise about it. Of course, um, conservatives are happy to say this is the degradation of society. Objectivists are happy to say the same, that this is uh, nihilism or this is like ugliness in art. I personally, I don't have a problem with the statue. So if you have those who haven't seen it, it's like it's it's inspired by a picture of Martin Luther King hugging his wife. But it's just like their arms, basically, like in isolation. It looks awkward from certain angles. Uh, it's also hard to understand by looking at it. But my kind of attitude is like, you know, artists don't always want to do the exact same thing that the last generation did. Like actual artists are they're curious to try something new. So. I've I've seen worse art than this. It's 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 an interesting new approach, and uh, I could I could see why the panel of, of judges decided to go with this sculpture. It's not like they're all nihilists who hate you know hate causality and existence. They're just like, oh yeah, this is interesting. It's new. Let's try this out. I I, I really have no problem with this personally. I I wouldn't mind uh, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, other um, new approaches to sculpture. Yeah, uh, not that not that they should be publicly funded, but that's a separate issue. So I'm curious what you guys think. I'll jump in. I, mean, I don't like it at all um, because you don't know what it is. Right. And if you don't really know what it is, then like what what is, what value is it serving? It's too like subjective. It's too you know, it has all the problems, I think, of modern art in general, where. You know, it's like you're almost afraid to kind of go out and say what it is like, like Martin Luther King was a hero and this doesn't 
you don't get that he was a hero. Like if you want to do a show like an embrace, like there's another way to maybe convey that embrace. If that's what you're trying to convey as the artist that I think is more, um, you know, is, 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 is better, better done. Right. Like, I don't, you don't even know that this is Martin Luther King. You don't even know that this is his wife. Like you could have just had, I mean, I could think of at least 10 other ways off the top of my head that I would have portrayed the same message that would have been clear and would have done, I think, the man and the hero more justice. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what it is either. And I think you should be able to identify the subject <laughs> to some degree in the art, um, particularly when the idea is to, is to promote that subject, right? It's to lionize him and hold him up, uh, you know, and I don't think that that art does it. Sorry. It doesn't, doesn't really do but it. I, you know, it's just that like, the other thing has been done so many times. So many statues of Martin Luther King have already been erected, if that's the word, or sculpted. Well, yeah, but, you, then, but, but then you're just being, you one is being different to be different as opposed to, you know, you can find an original way, I think, of of composing uh, composing a piece of art that, that, uh, that at least we know what the subject is. Yeah, we've had multiple statues of MLK, multiple sculptures, but I don't think we've ever had a sculpture of, of Martin Luther King and of, of that hug, that embrace between MLK and his wife after he won the um, the Nobel. Um, but I kind of I kind of agree with the rest of the gang that uh, um, that you really can't tell what it is. And from certain angles, it just looks phallic. Um, That's what and- I thought it was. It, that's I, the first image that I saw. I was like, "Is that some lady holding a dick?" Or like, that's so Did to me. Or like, and and compare that to Pieta, right? The the Michelangelo sculpture of the mother cradling her son. Uh, you know, you, there's no mistaking what that is, and it's beautiful and tragic. Um, if you if you can't figure out what it is, if you know, if you have to be told by a plaque or by a, this is what this is, then it, I, I question the artistry and it, I question the emotion that it evokes because I think you should be, I think art should be something that you don't need a narration for. Um, it should be something that you can immediately react to and analyze and sure there's deeper aspects of it there's I have an artist friend who you know we would go to museums all the time and he would explain to me about you know well it was really difficult to get red in this era and what they did to get blue and that's all great but I can still look at the painting and I can still understand it and appreciate it um but if I have to be told well this is actually a sculpture of MLK and his wife after you know like you know I kind of have an issue with that yeah, I mean, yeah. also like like I'm just looking at it now and like, you know, bringing my own context into it. Like, it looks like you know, it could easily be someone getting rear naked choked, for example. There's just an arm going across and hands, you know. Like, it, you can't tell it's a hug. You can't tell, you know, it just it, it just it's it, there's nothing there's nothing conveyed there. Um, you know, the message is not clearly conveyed. Wait, way to bring it back to wrestling ish, Seth. The MMA approach to MLK. (laughs) So I saw a picture of this on Facebook, I think, yesterday. I didn't stay long enough to see that it was about Martin Luther King. I just thought that's odd. So I've now figured out what it is that you guys are talking about. Um, I think that if possible, if we're doing giving tribute to a figure, the, the tribute should evoke our feelings for the figure and what it is that makes that figure stand out above 
other figures that we're choosing not to uh, give tributes to. So if hugging anonymously is what uh, MLK should be best known for, then I think that's perfect. But I don't think anonymous hugging was the point of MLK. And I'm not saying there should be a thought balloon above his head that says, you know, I've, you know, I'm freed black people or whatever, stupid like that. But I, I sort of want to see the face. I'm so crazy. I actually want to see the face. I think that brains are important when it comes to values and to changing the world, even more than arms. And uh, I'm in favor of more brains and fewer arms. Yeah. So like I, I wasn't saying this is like the ultimate tribute to MLK and that this is what art should always be. Obviously, if you compare Parker, it to you Michelangelo, were. you were, you were, you know, I you was. Were. Yeah, that's right. But um, no, nah, I mean, but, this is, you know, look, I, I don't agree with there being a publicly funded monument, of course. And uh, the more you have these stupid contests, you're going to have all types of kooky new uh, displays. But I mean, to me, this is not like the ultimate degradation of, of what art can be. To me, it's just like someone had an idea. They said they like this picture of him hugging his wife and they said, let's just isolate the arms. Uh, Robert with five dollars says the MLK statue looks substantially better from some angles than others. If you haven't seen it from any but the worst angles look for more picks. Yeah, I mean and also and like yeah, there there should also be like art art. You know, there should be representational art that gets to the point of what is to be conveyed. But um you're also going to have people coming up with these sort of um you know, sort of strange new ideas and I don't I don't see this as like an assault on beauty or anything like the types of language you'll hear from conservatives and certainly an assault certainly an assault on the conceptual nature of art as far as i'm concerned and and what what an art a piece like that should represent i don't agree with that that's where that's what i'm challenging today yeah i mean i would even just say like okay let's just say i just don't think it's a you know it's just not effective if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna sort of judge it by is this is this conveying the message that the artist wants to convey like what Rand calls art right the selective recreation recreation of, of, of reality. reality right like what do you re okay so recreate something and you could do that definitely in creative ways but the question is is that clear right or is that coming across um from your piece of art and if it's not coming across in that piece of art um you know i think that's like um you know, I think that's, I think that's a problem. Like take like Monet, right. For example, right. You know, the water lilies, you know, kind of the abstract kind of pictures of it, you know, like, you know, I think many people would take issue with his, his style, I guess. Right. It's clear. It's not clear. It's a little blurry. Right. But I think he pulls it off enough where like, you still can convey, you still get the message that Monet is trying to show the beauty of a landscape. Right. And that still comes through. I mean, when I go look at, you know, Monet's painting, like I, I, I live in New York, so I go to the, the Met Museum here and they have a few of his paintings. And like, I still like it, even though I'm not like a, I'm not a big fan of that genre of art. Like, it's just, it's pretty to me. Um, and I think you still get that. I don't think it's deep, but I still get the beauty in his style that was done, I think. Um, at least at the time, let's say it was pretty, pretty creative and maybe still is. So at least he, at least that beauty image comes through like to me, like, I don't know, going back to the MLK, like if you're, if you're trying to show him as compassionate or strong or, you know, masculine in the way, like he loves his wife or his wife's emotion with him, like none of that comes through. It just, it's, 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 it's an awkward, like, I don't know what the message there. It's just kind of awkward. 
I don't I don't think that uh, an explicit message about MLK is the point of art like and again, putting aside that this is a public monument, so it, it's supposed to be about MLK to me. It's just like the fact that an artist wanted to do this. I don't I don't like have a problem with this. I don't see what's so outrageous about it. Uh, it's strange. But with a lot of art, by the way, you, you're, you, you have no idea what the artist is saying. You go to the most prominent museums in the world and there's naked, naked people doing weird things and you find, you read it and it's like they were trying to say that the French Revolution was blah. blah, blah. It's like, yeah, I don't judge art by by that, but also but you can like still look at it. You can still look at it and identify that they're naked people, that they're in an embrace, that they're, uh, you know, you can look at Mark right now getting licked by his dog and somebody could sculpt that and then you'd be able to understand at a later time, oh, that's an actor whose dog is licking him. Um, but you should be able, it's just like a movie, right? You should not have to walk out of a movie going, what the hell was that about, right? You should, everything... The, the everything should be there for you in the piece of art itself, whether it's literature, whether it's sculpture, whether it's film or TV, whether it's painting, you should be able to. No, I don't necessarily mean to you don't understand the whole meaning of it um, because people take different things away, but you should at least be able to identify what the objects are and what they're doing. And that's the part that I, I think it was it's it's well done. It's beautifully sculpted. Um, you know, the hands somebody was mentioning here in the um, in the chat that hands are like one of the most difficult things to sculpt. I think it was very well done. Um, like uh, what the hell? Um, the 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 clocks, you know, the um, that uh, the painter who did the. the yeah. Oh, Dolly. Yeah. Yeah, Dolly, brilliant at what he did, um, but the the convey the meaning of it is you know just fairly meaningless and well and in that case more nihilistic I would say, but you should at least be able to walk away and know what it is. Like I don't know, I would have if I saw that sculpture anywhere, I would not have any idea that there was anything involved about MLK. And that's an issue. If you, you should be able to like walk up to it and like, oh, you know, the David, right? No, like you can't mistake the David or Rodan or, you know, the, those like just comparing those two, it's, it's not comparable to me. Yeah, maybe even see, going back to you can see to David, uh, the hands. No, but even like going back to like David, like if you saw that sculpture, right? Look at the sculpture, right? Like I wouldn't know it's David from David and Goliath, right? There weren't photographs. No one knows exactly what David looked like, but you can still, uh, I, I'll speak for me, like I still take away the emotion of what that is supposed to be. Like it is, you know, a heroic picture, right? It is It is a heroic picture or a heroic sculpture. What is heroic about it? The stance, the stance of the human, um, you know, he's clearly, you know, has a weapon in his hand, right? And like the whole, you know, the whole demeanor, you know, and the face and like how it, how it actually looks, right? The, 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 visual the physical visual visual cues that you can take away from it um kind of uh, you know conveying an emotion that the artist was trying to convey and like i don't know what the artist is trying to convey here i just don't think it's well executed i think uh what you're all describing is the best kind of art and certainly an art that i want to exist but i'm saying there's other types of stuff that artists want to try sometimes i i can imagine picasso uh, is not everybody's cup of tea yet. He's celebrated by everybody, including objectivists. So 
You know, why did art start getting blurrier over the centuries? Like why, why, or why, why would any art aficionado not be outraged at that? Because there's different stuff that different artists want to try. And, um, you know, that's it. Like, I don't, uh, I'm not, I, I don't, I don't like comparing this one sculpture to other art. It's like, yeah, those other art pieces are timeless for a reason. And this MLK hand is probably not going to be remember, remembered, but I, I, uh, I see value or I see I'm, I'm not upset at the fact that somebody had this idea and executed it. Um, yeah, so. I think we would appreciate it for, for different reasons, too. Um, but you can also um, also critique it for how good is it? You know, just like you could eat a hamburger and say, like, this is good. Like, this is a great hamburger and this is a mediocre hamburger i think we do the same with art too that doesn't mean you shouldn't try making it doesn't mean you should stop experimentation um but it does mean that you can judge the outcome by how by based upon the goal that you had going into it you know just like anything else all right uh we are low on time and got two of you left so who's it going to be first paul or seth, seth? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. mine, I think mine dovetails right into this. I wanted to, it was on art. And um, the question, first, I wanted to kind of clarify some of the comments that I think we made uh, on our show last week, Rucka, was, you know, I do think, you know, I said on that show, like, I don't think we should judge art. And uh, I actually want to walk that back. Like, I do think you can judge art qua art, right? How effective it is for the purpose of art of conveying a message, which I kind of just, just said now. But what I meant by that really is like, I don't think you should morally judge art. And I think maybe this, this may come back to what you were saying, um, Rucka, or maybe it's a question, can you morally judge art in a sense? Like, I almost feel like, what am I in the mood for? Like, so, think of art like food. Like, sometimes I just want like a, like an unhealthy milkshake. And sometimes like, I want like the like grass fed, you know, no anti, you know, no antibiotic, you know, super supremely healthy food. Right. And I think the same goes for art too, where like, sometimes I want high art and sometimes I just want like, you know, a trashy sitcom or something just because that fits my mood. Um, so I do think you can like, you know, so I, so I don't necessarily think you need to morally judge art, but this is my question for the collective here. Can you glean an insight in someone's personality by the pattern of art that they consume over a period of time? So take someone who only watches, say, trashy sitcoms or someone who only um, prefers modern art over, over, say, you know, some of the classical art. Do you think you can get an insight into someone's personality based on the art they like? I, I do, think it's for sure. Yes. Go ahead. Uh, th th that's just my answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll elaborate. Right, Paul, you're up. Yes. Uh, I think, I think you can, I think you can understand a person's personality from the food that they eat on a regular basis. Uh, the music that they listen to, um, you know, how they, how they keep their house, uh, you know, what a person does. I, and I, we're not talking about a one-off thing here, right? We're talking about right. over a period of time and a pattern, you know, if a guy that I want to date only eats in and out burger all you know, like every day. I'm going to have an issue with that. Um, if they're, if they're, if they're a sedentary person and they, they're not really active, I'm going to have an issue with that. Um, if their favorite TV show in the world is squid games, I'm going to have an issue with that. Um, it, you know, there are, and yes, I agree. There are sometimes I'm just in the mood for a shoot 'em up, like 
I will watch John Wick, even though I've seen it multiple times, but I just want to like chill and watch somebody do some cool martial arts and shoot people. Um, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean that I'm like an empty, vacant person. It just means that's what I'm in the mood for. But I like to your point, Seth, if if somebody's demonstrating a consistent pattern of worshiping nihilism or worshiping altruism, you can you can judge that and you can see that over a period of time or of just, you know, not taking care of their own body. Um, you can judge that. And I think that, you you know, people should be morally judged for their overall consistent taste in art. That's my opinion. I have a mixed reaction. Um, I was a huge fan of Night of the Living Dead, which all of you know very well. It's a 1968 film. It's a it's the best zombie film ever made. Um, it is uh, nihilistic, but I think it earns its nihilism and I think it works as a nihilistic film. Um, so those of us who were fans were waiting for years for the sequel to come out. And I think it was in 1979 that George Romero did Dawn of the Dead, which was in color, which had a real budget, unlike the first film, and which uh, consisted in my mind of loving shots of heads exploding. It was the first time I'd seen on film uh, people picking up rifles and shooting zombies in the head. And you'd have glorious splatter special effects courtesy of Tom Savini or whoever it was. So I'm there in the audience and I actually empathize with characters in a film. It's one of my many, many, many flaws. And the audience around me, which is which consists of kids younger than I am, is screaming in joy and pleasure at each kill shot. And I'm thinking, who the fuck are these people? Are they human? Are, am I of the same species as these people who are getting off on these slow motion nihilistic headshots? Again, this is not 2023. This is 1979. This is something I hadn't seen before. I, so I have mixed feelings about this. Part of me thinks they're monsters and they need to die. And part of me thinks people are going to movies for different reasons. Um, the, I don't think video games had been invented or if they had, they were in their infancy at this point. But these guys were basically seeing this as a video game. So for them, it wasn't a moral contest of how should I properly react when I see the head of an innocent or of a zombie being blown up. It was, oh, it's really fun. It's really cool the way they did that. So part of me agrees as a craftsperson, it's incredible that you can pull off that illusion. You're a magician who's making an illusion and you're making people respond emotionally to the illusion. It nauseates me and makes me not want to be part of the same species as those people, but perhaps I'm the one who's overreacting there. I would agree in general with what you guys have said that if there's a pattern and that's all people want, I certainly don't want to have anything to do with them. They may not, I may not be qualified to say that they're bad people, but I'm certainly qualified to say that they're not my kind of person. But I'm, I'm, I'm always shocked by differences in taste. I mean, the idea that you guys don't begin each show with a Beatles song makes no sense to me. I don't know where <laughs> your, your taste is. Um, I used to watch the Academy Awards and it would really matter to me that they got it right. And then when they for 70 years didn't get it right, I thought perhaps it should matter a little less what I think of other people's tastes. I can't affect it. I should just love the stuff that I love. I wish people embraced the stuff that I loved. I wish people would read Atlas and not go, well, there's a fascist. Because I'm like, I'm sorry, which word was, was difficult for you in Atlas Shrugged where you got to that conclusion? But I don't live in that world. So when I find out that my screenwriting students were exposed at the age of eight years old to Texas Chainsaw Massacre by their parents, I think, wow, that's some bad parenting, but I can't go a lot further than that. So I'm mixed. I would like more people who are properly horrified at the stuff they should be horrified by, like disco, and people who appreciate Simon um, and Garfunkel the way Simon and Garfunkel should be appreciated. Mm -hmm. 
Um, okay, again, I'll be the voice of uh, skepticism and um, reluctance to judge. Of course, you can learn about somebody by what they're really into and what they consume regularly. But obviously, you want to factor in with everything else you know about them. Jax, if you meet the man of your dreams and his favorite show is Squid Games, it'll become your favorite show like that. I think so. <laughs> everything else about him not is not the great. man of my dreams. <laughs> Everything else about him is exactly perfect, but he really likes this show for some reason. I, I mean, anyway, yeah. yeah it, and but also that like- That wouldn't be possible. That wouldn't be possible. If everything about, if everything else about that person is perfect and, and then their favorite show, it, it'd be like, you know, everything else about them is fav is is perfect, but they uh, they thought that Atlas Shrugged was, uh, was fascism. The like everything else is perfect. That's it wouldn't happen. Thinking it's fascism is not the same as liking or disliking something. So many people love Squid Game, which I haven't even seen. But it, someone liking or disliking something is not the same as them thinking it's it's fascism. So a lot of people you can meet a guy who hates who dislikes Atlas Shrugged. He just he's not moved by it. But in other ways, he you really like him and he's wonderful. So that's yeah. Anyway, you factor in everything about somebody. And you, you know, factor in the purpose for which you're judging them and uh, proceed with caution, I say. Well, I mean, we'll have a longer conversation about who our dream people are, Rucka. All right. <laughs> Looking forward to that. We are basically out of time, but uh, we still got Paul and a couple super chats. All right. Real quick um, with a super chat. Free Trade says, are real functional firearms actually allowed on movie sets? I always thought only specially modified guns were used for obvious reasons. So some of wanna... them are modified. Some of them do have the capacity to shoot actual bullets. Um, so I'm sorry. Now, who's this now? Now it's airsoft. Now what's the matter? What's the matter? Who, who's this cool guy with the '90s backwards cap that replaced Mark on the show? Put the backwards cap on because it was blocking all the light, so you could see my uh, my grizzled face. Um, now they now they use the uh, airsoft uh, gun, so there's there's really no issue about my round. Robert but lightsabers with... do work. There we go. How's Ooh, that? Yeah, I, I was wondering like about that. that. Yeah. I've heard so, this. I've heard this. And now that you're saying it, Paul, I believe it. Thank you. Uh, Robert with $2 says, hugging is the most important character trait. And Jonathan with $1.99, thank you for that. Allie with $2 says, oh, it's Johnny. And I would support the sculpture. Jonathan with 99 cents. Oh, Jesus. They're just throwing money at us. Jonathan with 99 cents again. And uh, Robert with $5 says, coming up, an uh, awful or awesome life on earth. Okay, we'll plug your show in a minute. Um, but actually, since we got nothing coming up at the bottom of the hour, we can go a couple minutes over if that's agreeable to you all, because I'd like to hear Paul's topic of the day. So go ahead, Paul. Okay, so better, I- That'd be good. We've waited all day for yeah, it. Yeah, just don't, I don't need pressure from you, Pellegrino. Um, so you guys have like real topics. Jax comes in with a real topic and it's like, this is, this is something we can talk about for 20 minutes because she's smart and she's prepared and old. So I, I, <laughs> there you go. Not so going to let that of, one go. Thank you so much. Um, I wrote a bunch of lighter ones. And the one that I was going to lead with was, is you've got one wish. You cannot wish for more wishes. What is your wish? And since we are almost out of time, I thought I would lead with mine. So it occurs to me that in the free will debates and the existence of God, when people say, um, when people talk about the problem of evil and they say, how can there be a God and evil in the world? And the people who believe in God will say some variation of, well, there would be no free will if, if there's not the possibility of evil. And I call bullshit. So for my one wish, I would wish for a world, if I can only make one change and I can't have additional wishes, 
I would wish for uh, humanity that is identical to current humanity, except that my stomach is tighter. But the other thing is that you cannot initiate force or fraud against other people. You can do anything else. You can be mean to them. You can think about it. You can want to do it. But the laws of physics will prevent your actually carrying it out. Now, does that hurt your freedom? No. My free will is not injured by my inability to fly or to lift 2,000 pounds or to look good in Superman's tights. I want those things. The fact that I cannot achieve them in no way mitigates against the fact that I have free will. So I would love it if you and I could think all the evil thoughts we are currently thinking, uh, but not actually be able to carry out the ones that would uh, initiate force or fraud against other people. I would do that in a second. I don't care if it's fascist or anything else. That's me. You told Ball me. for president. Ball gay for president. Yeah. I would wish. Okay. I would wish to write that movie, Paul, <laughs> because I would find a way of of uh, I would find a way of how I don't think that could work, but okay. it would be very interesting to to write that. C.S. Lewis was also of the ilk. He wrote about this. He wrote about all the bad things that happen to good people, and he basically said. It's impossible for God to design the universe in such a way that the laws of physics would have to be suspended for that to work out. I love C.S. Lewis. His Chronicles of Narnia are better than anything I will write in my life, and he's completely wrong. Plus, he's dead. Yeah, pretty much any, everything he wrote in philosophy is wrong. Yeah. But, but he's a great, great writer. writer. He is a great writer. Yeah. He captivated me for a while when I was a Christian, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, are we going through what we all are wishing for in this? Or is yeah, that what you, that you have one wish and you yeah. can't ask for more wishes. Right. I, I guess I wouldn't mind being a few inches taller if I had to pick something. Maybe a baller. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was a little bit taller. Wish I was a baller. Wish I had a girl. If I did, I would call her. There it is. Yeah. I wish that my dogs would live to be a hundred. But youthful. You don't want them just to. Right. Know, Right. Yeah. Full of vim and vigor. Yes. Kind of wish I had a backwards hat that I could put on to fit in. Wow. That's your wish. <laughs> well, that, that maybe is good for Seth. All right. I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess, I guess it's got to be a little bit better than, uh, than Paul's uh, utopia. Um, I would go with, uh, I guess, immortality, right? It's the ultimate good. Would it be? I mean, I, I, yes. I'm not in favor of death. So let I me would come say out defined with by the objectivist ethics, probably. Okay. And I assume eternal youth, or at least you can plug your youth at a Ooh, certain age. That's so a that good you're not question. Gonna... That's, that's where I get, that's where I get screwed, I guess. You, know, you I'm should. Like 2000 uh, years old and like. But you're 26. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're going to want to be guys seen, um, Have you guys seen um, Sandman? Neil Gaiman's uh, Sandman on. I read, I read the graphic uh, series. I uh, Seth, if you want to know what that looks like, watch um, watch Sandman because okay. they they give uh, they give this guy immortality and they decide every hundred years they're going to meet up in the same place to see what his life is like. Oh, um, and it and it goes over a period of uh, I think like a thousand years maybe. Uh, 500 or a thousand years, but uh, you should, and, and they stop his, you know, so he's, he's fully grown. He doesn't get older or younger stately, you know, kind of like they made him a vampire without making him a vampire. Hmm. Uh, is it but, uh, like uh, benevolent or is it malevolent? Um, actually, I think the, my takeaway from it was, was more benevolent, but there were periods of time where, you know, he, he wished for it to be undone. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and and then, you know, you become the wisest person in the world if you really use it uh, uh, in that in that manner. So uh, it's it's a great it's a great um, TV show to watch as well. They did a really good job with it. Okay. Steph, would you choose immortality if other people were not immoral, immortal, i.e. if people that you loved were going to die? Oh, that's a good question, too. Maybe this is a bad. Maybe 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 I should go with my second pick, which was the uh, December 2017 Sports Almanac. Uh, from back to the future naturally <laughs> oh yeah all right well uh good collective episode everybody coming up at 10 p.m uk time it's life on earth with robert naser on wonder and awe awful or awesome and that's it for today thank you all what a lovely uh panel it's been we touched upon quite a number of issues and went over time for forgiveness we ask to the overlords uh, see you all back here tomorrow for the daily objective and goodbye. Peace. Bye. Thank you.